Welcome to Lossiemouth United Free Church Sermons Online. We're glad you could join us as we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. If you want more information about our services or about church life, please head over to our website at lossieufchurch.org for more resources. Let's hear God's word. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, and those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria, the notable men of the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes. Pass over to Kelna and see, and from there go to Hamath, the great, and go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms, or is the territory greater than your territory? O you who put far away the day of disaster and bring near the seat of violence. Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and, like David, invent for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, They shall now be the first of those who go into exile, and the revelry and those who stretch themselves out shall pass away. The Lord God has sworn by by himself, declares the Lord, the God of hosts. I pour the pride of Jacob and hate his strongholds, and will deliver up the city and all that is in it. And if the ten men remain in one house, they shall die. And if when one's relative the one who anoints him for burial shall take him up and bring the bones out of the house and shall say to him who is in the innermost parts of the house, Is there still anyone with you? He shall say no, and he shall say silence. We must not mention the name of the Lord. For behold, the Lord commands, and the great house shall be struck down into fragments and the little house into bits. Do horses run on rocks? Does one plough there with oxen? But you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. You who rejoice in low debar, who say, Have we not by our own strength captured Carnel for ourselves? For behold, I will raise up against you a nation. O house of Israel, declares the Lord, the God of hosts. And they shall oppress you from Libo Hamath and the brook of Arabah. The Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. Last week, as we continued our study in Amos, we considered Israel's false security and its religious practices. We thought about how they were simply playing at meetings. And so Amos lamented over Israel's failures, and the tone was one of mourning mourning over the dead, even though they are very much still alive as a nation. Romans, of course, written much later, tells us that the wages of sin are death, and in this case, the death of the nation at the hands of their enemies. The slow erosion from a promising start was what uh, Israel experienced as the promised land became a grave, 
rather than the refuge it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be where life and hope was. He cries out to them, seek the Lord and live. For in and through the Lord and him alone is where life is to be found. Instead, though we read, O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth, their worship was false because they had not taken God seriously. And so things like justice and righteousness meant nothing to them. That dripping tap of the worldly views around them began to distort their trust in God's truth. And the same dangers exist for us today. The words of Alec Matthias summed it up for us when he says, The gods of Assyria occupied the hearts of Israel long before the armies of Assyria occupied its streets and towns. But today, as we continue on in our study of Amos and we come to chapter 6, we see that theme of false security that we began last week continue on. In chapter 5, Amos's words address Israel's false security in their religious practices. And today we see Amos challenge Israel's false security in their military success, their military strength, and their material possessions. As I said, the beginning of our opening verse sums up the attitudes, and we read those words. Woe to those that are at ease in Zion, and to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria. They're displaying a dangerous combination of complacency on the one hand and apathy on the other. Because the root of their problem was the same as that we've looked at before. Their relationship with God was not what it should have been. In their worship, they were going through the motions, and now in their military success, they were sitting back and missing the danger that was on their very doorsteps. Again, as Zion and Samaria are mentioned, we see Amos speak to both the northern and southern kingdoms. He addresses Israel as a whole. He warns them of their failures. The complacency is a false confidence, an apathy, a failure to care. And those two problems together make a deadly combination, as we see in Revelation and the letters to the churches. And we remember the words to the church at Laodicea when God says, you're neither hot nor cold. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. The church and Laodicea equally become complacent and apathetic, both of which leave a foul taste in God's mouth, as it were. And he threatens to spit them out. In other words, no longer be his church. In a similar way, God deals with the nation of Israel by spitting them out into exile. But he does not break his covenant promises as he maintains a remnant to carry forward his plans. It is a warning that taking the Lord of the universe, our Heavenly Father for granted, will not end well for us. It's also worth noting at this point that Chapter 6 draws together and draws to a conclusion that major section of Amos' prophecy that we began back in chapter 3 and brings a message of judgment presented in the five oracles that we noted it consists of. 
Chapter 6 is the second woe oracle, the first one last week, beginning with, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. And today, woe to those that are at ease in Zion. Amos' words intensify throughout the oracles as God's people move further and further towards a cliff edge. At this point, we see that they're generally disinterested in the danger that they're in as they teeter on the edge. But as Amos warns them, they can't say that they're unaware and they haven't been told. And it's not only the prophet Amos that brought such a message, but also that of his contemporaries, such as Hosea. As the writer notes, spiritual apathy is deadly for the soul. Speaking through the prophet Hosea, God rebuked the Israelites for spiritual apathy, because we read there in Hosea. But when, you, when they had grace, they became full, they were filled, and their heart was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot the Lord. How could they forget the God who delivered them from Egypt and fed them in the wilderness? Of course, it seems that spiritual apathy can keep in unnoticed, even when God is at work in powerful ways. In the New Testament, James hints at this problem of spiritual apathy when he says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Notice that the problem is not ignorance, since he knows what to do, but apathy just doesn't care. As they basked in their past glories and success under Jeroboam and Uzziah, so Assyria and the rest of their enemies were getting stronger and their resolve was increasing. Verse 2 encourages them to look at the other nations, for they have, as verse 1 suggests, put themselves as first amongst the nations. Their own sense of superiority had blinded them to seeing the looming threat that was on their doorstep. The danger with talking about apathy and complacency is that we so quickly apply it to others and other situations has been blind to how close to the edge of an abyss we ourselves can be. In the UK, it would be fair to say that the predominant threat to Christianity is not secularisation, although that is a threat. But I would suggest apathy and complacency on the church's part is a far greater threat. When we cool in our passion for Christ and our relationship with our Heavenly Father, we begin to stop caring. We begin to get comfortable in our ways and our confidence is often misplaced and not fully in God. In verse 3, we see how they are ignoring the coming judgment, which in fact has the very effect of bringing near the seat of violence, probably referring to the short-lived kingships after Jeroboam that were often seized through violence. As file notes, when the preaching of the day of judgment ceases, then complacency reigns supreme. And it's no different today when we lose sight of our need to be right with a holy and perfect God. And this is when it happens. Complacency creeps in. Not only is there false security in their military victories, but also, as we come to verse 4, we see it's in their possession. The picture painted for us as we look there is of this great feast. 
with all its excesses as they revel in their indulgent lifestyles. And it's especially true of the leadership. In verse 5, we have that ironic comparison to David. Yet unlike their worthless endeavors, David composed psalms to glorify God. Paul speaks of such people in the book of Romans and says, For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. The leadership, of course, then leads the people astray. Again, there is a sense of their blindness to the gathering storm. And they continue to party. Party like it will never end. The old saying, fiddling whilst Rome burns, seems apt for the situation. Of course, the legend goes that whilst the fire destroyed the city of Rome, Emperor Nero just sat playing his violin, thus revealing his complete lack of concern for his people, and his empire. The leaders of Israel here display the same attitude because apathy and complacency are not merely feelings but are displayed in our actions and in our attitudes or lack thereof. Where do we put our confidence as believers? Where do we put it as churches? Is it in the greatness of the God we serve? Or is it dictated by how well the finances are going or by some other marker? The sad thing is that many a church is closed with a huge bank balance because they'd failed to be what God has called out his people to be. But equally many a vibrant, thriving church is spending all it has for the glory of God and the building of his kingdom. We talk about saving for a rainy day. Well, in spiritual terms, in our land, it is pouring. So what will we do? It's only last week we noted Thomas Reiner's comments from his book, Autopsy of a Deceased Church. Again, it's helpful to further draw upon some of these comments that he makes. He says, being a good steward of these material things that God has given our churches is good. But becoming obsessed with any one of them to the neglect of his mission is idolatry. And in this vein, he concludes, where the money of the church goes, so goes its heart. It's always interesting to look over the finances of churches and see what the proportion is spent on mission and outreach. We must avoid the temptation as churches and as individuals of like the Israelites, feeling secure in what we have rather than who we serve. The final verse of the chapter uh, creates a, a link into the coming section that will deal with Amos's visions. And so as we come to verse 8 onwards, we see in Amos's announcement of judgment the great contrast between the luxuries that we've read about of their partying, verses 4 to 6, and the devastation that we see in the remainder of the chapter. In verse 8, we see how God swears by himself to carry out judgment because there is no higher authority upon which to swear. 
God's character, his nature require the sort of response. Why? Because he's holy and a righteous God. If his people are disobedient, he is bound by his own nature to exercise his perfect judgment and justice. To do anything else would be to undermine his, own, his very own nature. You must remember that is the very same character that we saw save them out of the clutches of the Egyptians and deliver them into the promised land. However, deliverance does not give them free reign to behave as they like any more than it gives us free reign. It is because we serve a God whose nature never changes that we can have confidence in him to keep his promises and in how he deals with us. Verse 9 and 10 point towards that coming devastation that will soon befall Israel. Verse 11 onwards showing the, the imminency of its arrival. They have boasted in their military might and their material possessions. Yet it will all be and will all come to nothing. As the chapter ends, God declares through the prophet, they will raise another nation against him. He will use the very thing that they've become complacent about against them to exercise his justice and judgment. What they'd forgotten was that their victories were not because of their military might, but because of the God that they served, the God that had been with them. And now as he lifts his hand of protection from them, they will feel the full force of the Assyrian armies. But more importantly, they will feel God's justice. And as we come to the end of chapter 6 and of this major section in Amos, it is worth drawing together some of the threads of this wider section that we've been studying over the past weeks. So what can we take from all this drama of announcements and woe oracles and so much more? Well, firstly, and maybe now rather obviously, we can see what lies at the root of all their problems. It's their failure to see God for who he is. Amos sets out, even from chapter 1, way back there in chapter 1, sets out to show the great and eternal truths about the one that they serve or should be serving. The God of the universe is portrayed in his awesomeness and his might. The lion that roars from Zion. There's his beauty. The beauty of his grace and mercy is evident in his dealings with them as their rock and saviour. He is at work in time and history, as Amos makes clear. Yes, we thought earlier on. They had lost their wonder and awe of a glorious God. One writer describes it like this. And you can see where I drew the earlier illustration from. There's a term in the art and film industry called visual lethargy to describe the process of becoming desensitized to the same sight. You've probably experienced it. The first time you see the view from a vacation rental, you're stunned. You drink in every detail, filled with awe and gratitude. By day five, you scarcely notice the view. And really, you just wish the kids would, be, would quit fighting so you can hear yourself think, heaven knows 
if you were to buy the vacation rental, the view would become so commonplace it would be virtually invisible. And that's what happened for God's people. To them, God had become almost invisible. The people of God had become lethargic and desensitized to the glory of God, like we can. When we first come to faith, God's beauty, his mercy, his grace, they all captivate us. Over time, we can become complacent and apathetic. We can grow cold. Grow cold to what should stir us, to a true worship and true praise of the living God. We start going through the motions. And the only way back, the only way to break the cycle is to return again and again to the cross and be reminded of who God is and what he's done for us. Another thread I think that we need to pull on here is how they lost their belief in judgment or certainly any sense of accountability before God. Their life of excesses and self-gratification had led them to abandon the idea that there would be consequences for their actions. Even today in certain parts of the church, there is teaching such as universalism where all will be saved is the teaching because God is too loving to condemn any. Their studies speak to such heresy and show us the character of God. Judgment and hell is a reality for the rebellious. But for those that put their trust in Jesus and walk with the Lord, there is hope and salvation. Clearly, as we've seen today, the issue is not seeing God for who he is and his li- not seeking God for who he is and how he's led them. Putting their security and their trust in other things, whether it be the military might or their possessions. And of course, the problem is very real today. As people build their lives on the shifting sands of this world instead of upon Christ, the solid rock, as the hymn says. As one writer wisely puts it, in the Western world, often we rely on our insurance policies, bank balances, homes and jobs, and the fatal point is reached, they write, when instead of gratefully receiving these as gifts from God, which they are, we regard them as natural rights and build our lives upon them. The question for each of us today that requires us to be honest with ourselves and God is where do we find our security? And the thread that draws it all together, of course, is the complacent apathy is not harmless. It is a deadly sin that will choke our lives and that of our fellowships if we, as the passage puts it, become at ease in Zion. And recent events have forced the church to go online, to do church in other ways. And this is a very real danger of exasperating the, this problem. It may have been fine for a season as we rightly complied with the health advice to sit, whether it be with our bacon rolls or whatever else, and coffee or tea, as we listened and watched the services. And it was a blessing that we had the technology to do that. But the danger is that we see church attendances fall as people tune into services to be consumed 
like a service to be uh, used. And church becomes a spectator event rather than a gathering of God's people, equipping them to fulfill the Great Commission. And so may the Lord's words warn us and guard us from these dangers as we return to more of a normality and as we seek to reach out to a needy world. This is important to me. The devil not be granted the great tool of apathy within our land. And may we see the zeal for the things of God once more. So may the Lord bless these few thoughts to our hearts and minds. Let's pray together. Dear Lord God and loving Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we just pray that we would continue to have a zeal for you and your kingdom, that we may not become cold in our worship and our walk with you. We ask now that you would go before us, that you would equip us, and you would give us a, a joy within our hearts and a fresh vision of you and your mercy, your grace, and all that you've done for us, so that we might be encouraged in our service for you. All this we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.